So what's your problem? The preacher. At least he's honest. So with that question, I catch you up if you were not here last week. If you have a Bible, go to the book of James chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'll just kind of rehearse a little bit for you. I've been thinking about my dad lately and some of the stuff that my dad taught me. And even though he continues to teach me things, a chapter of my life where he was especially influential in everyday things is a little, little bit in the rearview mirror. One of the things my dad taught me about real life was pain is a tremendous motivator. I wish I could tell you that that was learned easily, but uh, it was learned at the end of instruments of torture. My dad had a way of teaching that uh, was, was kind of, for me, it was, I don't know, unique is the right word or not. He would teach me stuff without me being aware that he was teaching me stuff. And that was true as a kid growing up, but it also became true uh, as a minister, as I served on staff with him for a number of years, he was a senior pastor and I was in support staff positions. And uh, dad had a way of teaching things that I just didn't realize I was in school, but that's in fact what I was with him. Uh, and I want to share a few of those as we go through this, but it's especially meaningful as we come to this passage in this series as we're looking into the book of James and what he has to say to us and to teach us about living the Christian life out. And in this first section of the book, he's teaching us how to live the Christian life out in very painful circumstances. And so when I begin by asking, what's your problem? It's not a challenge to you. It's actually, it's an invitation to be really honest and to be really searching in your life. What are the things in your life today that are problematic for you. It could be any number of things. I, I look out across this crowd and uh, just as like any other church crowd in that we have people from all walks of life with all kinds of life history and circumstances and there's bound to be people in here with physical pain and problems and there's bound to be people in here with financial pain and problems and there's bound to be people in here with relationship pain and problem it's just the reality of life that pain and problems come knocking at our door on a regular basis and so if you're the rare bird who can answer what's your problem with I don't really have a problem then uh, first of all I'd say congratulations and secondly I'd say you better buckle up because there's problems right around the corner Life brings trouble. And when it does, and we find ourselves in deep weeds, and the question haunts every waking moment, why am I going through this? Or why am I going through this again? How do you answer that? The reality is that all of us have an answer for that. And when problems come our way, and I'm going to give you a little bit of the stuff my dad taught me, and I didn't realize at the time that this was so fundamental to life, but I find so much with it that it carries into every part of what I do every day. We all have a threshold in dealing with our problems that when we get to that threshold, somehow we quickly move from, I got this, I can handle this, to I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, 
that, that in itself, I guess I should have said this as I went into that. I believe that the best vehicle for teaching you spiritual truth are problems. Most of us are at a point in our thinking that we kind of settle into things going well and uh, we can learn stuff, but it's in those moments when we're pushed beyond ourselves and things are not going well and we're asking the question, why or why me? Uh, And that puts us on fertile ground for hearing what God has to say and for his growth for us. And so as we do that, there, there is this threshold that we encounter. Dad used to talk about something called a faith window. Now, here's essentially what that means. How big a problem do you need to be beyond your own resources and fall quickly into, I've got to have God for this? I used this in the early service, and it was an interesting uh, response that I got, so let me try it here. Let's just say that you go home and tomorrow you get home from work and in your mailbox is a letter uh, addressed to you and so you open it up and you see immediately that the letterhead on it uh, says that you have been on the receiving end of a communication from none other than the Internal Revenue Service. And those letters that begin greetings quickly can move us beyond hope So in this letter, let's say that you are given a notice that there are some discrepancies in your uh, tax return from the last few years, and so they're inviting you to a free meeting with an auditor. And you go through the, by the way, is that enough already for you to be at that threshold between, oh man, what am I going to do, or I got this. And so let's say you get into this audit and you go through the audit and the Internal Revenue Service and all of their grace and mercy and loving spirit say to you, okay, you've misfigured this and you owe us $50. Are you at a point there where you need God for that? Now, don't give me the church answer. I know the church answer. Well, we always need God. Yeah, okay, I got that. But let's be honest. If it's a $50 judgment against you, most of us would say, I got that. I'm going to make it in payments, 50 cents a month for. (laughs) But let's turn that, and instead of them saying, okay, the audit shows that you owe us $50, let's say the audit shows that you owe them $500,000. Did you just jump across the threshold into, I need God for this? Okay, so all of us have that threshold, and I'm curious for you. I don't need you to tell me. I just... Curious for you, what is your threshold? What what is that level of problem that you get to where all of a sudden you step out of, I can handle this, to, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Now, to catch you up from last week, I ask you to remember two things. Anybody remember what they were? The first one is, this is a test. All right, so when you get that $500,000 judgment against you, is the first thing you think of, this is a test? No, it takes me weeks to get to this as a test sometimes. The other question, what was the other part of I wanted you to remember? Where's God in this? So $500,000, 
You're over the threshold. Where's God in this? Now the faith window comes in because the faith window is the size of your ability to trust God for your need. If you didn't have $50, could you trust God to come up with 50 for you somehow? Most of us would go, yeah, I think so. If you didn't have 500000 my my window's not that big, to be honest with you. So I want you to find yourself in there. How much can you trust God for in dealing with the problems of your life? This is a test. Where's God in this? And so we read in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, staying power, in other words. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. But perfect, by the way, means mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So James helps us out at the beginning by saying when you find those trials, that problem that you have that pushes you up to the threshold, and I should just say it again in a different way, if you're not at that threshold and the problems you're dealing with now are ones that you can handle, then you better hang on because God is really good at bringing stuff to your doorstep that takes you beyond yourself. And so James says, count it all joy when you do that. Well, <laughs> What is he, a nut? Count it all joy? We have a way of getting into the deep weeds. Why? Why me? Become the question of the day for us. James has started off by telling us this little point of truth that your perspective in your trials makes all the difference in the world. Where's God in this? So we, we take another step now, and I, before I even read any of it, I, I need to say a couple of things about the next few verses. Uh, there seems to be this question, and as we read it, you'll understand what I'm talking about, where it almost looks as if James steps out of this discussion about trials and problems, and he jumps to another topic, which is wisdom and doubting. And if we're not careful, then we think he's just... Turn, like turning from one chapter to the next and he's going to take us on a different discussion point or tra- uh, trajectory. But it, what actually he's doing here in these next few verses is he's elaborating on those first few. And the first few drive us to this idea of we need perspective on the trials that we have. Where's God in this? And the reality is that we get to these points where we don't know where God is in this. And so he says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I don't know if you noticed that, but in verse 5, James starts off by not giving us a whole lot of credit. If any man lacks wisdom. Actually, this is one of those times where as we pull it out of Greek and into the English language, um, we we soften it if we're not careful. And the translation tends to soften uh, the impact of what James is saying here. He uses a grammatical uh, device here 
where it is correct to interpret it if any man lacks wisdom, but the thrust of it and the power behind the statement is he's stating a reality in a nice way. If any man lacks wisdom, actually we could translate it and capture the sense of what he's driving at as since you lack wisdom. Well, now that's a little bit offensive. He doesn't know how smart you are. Or maybe he does know us better than we think. You ever find yourself at the end of yourself trying to figure out how does... How, how does God fit into this garbage? I, I heard a preacher say one time, I had so messed up in my life that I finally came to realize that God worked a miracle to get me in so much trouble. You ever feel that way? James, as he pushes us in those first few verses towards getting perspective, he quickly follows that up by saying, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting perspective at times since you lack Wisdom. We'll talk about wisdom in just a second. But I want us to wear this. We all struggle at this point. And some of us struggle with letting the struggle be a struggle. It's almost like we compartmentalize stuff in our lives and we just push it off to the side and act like it's not even a, a problem at all. The wise old black preacher said when God sends us tribulation, he expects us to tribulate. So if you're sitting there you're thinking, no, I got it, it's all good. Maybe, maybe it would be wise to step back and go, okay, maybe, maybe some of these things I'm going through are really not my wife's fault. Oh, did I, I said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> my wife just said amen. No, that's not what she said. Okay. So here's, here's where we're at here. When tribulation comes your way, you need perspective. You need to ask for help. But what is that help? If any of you lacks wisdom, it'd be a good time to get a working definition on the table, I think, because wisdom might be one of those things that we throw around and never really think too much about what we mean by that. F.A. Hort said this wisdom is the endowment of heart and mind. That's a gift. The gift of heart and mind which is needed for right conduct in life. In other words, it's wisdom is the ability to look into a situation and know what's there and what to do about it. Another commentator said it this way, it is understanding God's purposes and plan that exhibits a determination to live accordingly. It is, in other words, to be able to see God in the situation. Now we're back to last week. Where's God in this? The ability to see God in the situation and then submit your behavior underneath what you see. Here's one of those things. Back to my dad. This is a bit of an homage to my dad today, I guess. We're talking about wisdom. He's probably the wisest guy that I know. Although I would love to see us raise up multiple generations of wise guys around here. One of the things my dad used to do is teach us in staff meeting in ways that made me just want to give him a throat punch. You understand that? Um, and mom and dad listened to these uh, recordings and uh, 
So I'm sure he'll have other wisdom after he hears I wanted to give him a throat punch. But nevertheless, would sit in his, in his office. And, and we, as a staff member under my dad, you know, he let us do our jobs, expected us to do our jobs. And, and uh, often that meant struggling with the situations that we were in. And, um, and I, I can remember on more than one occasion facing an issue and then going into dad's office and talking about it with him and invariably uh, at least in the early days I would make this kind of a statement well I've looked at it and really the only option is and then I would you know fill in what the only option was and he regularly would stop me and say you got to be kidding me what do you mean by that he said are you telling me that's the only option well, I've looked at it and, you know, and so I would start talking about other options that I wasn't going to follow. And he said, so it's not the only option. Man, stop talking in code, old man. Tell me what you mean. And here was his statement. I'm going to write a book one of these days about some of the stuff that he, wrote, that he taught us uh, that are it's just, I call them earthy sayings that have incredible truth behind them. Here's one of those sayings. In any problem that you face, there are always at least three options. And one of those three options is the one you haven't thought of yet. In other words, think about it. Process it. Get out of that mindset where you only see what you see because there's always another perspective on what you have there. Does that make sense? James is saying here, as you face those problems and those trials in your life, you don't have what it takes to get the right perspective. So ask. I guess to put it in terms of what I just got through saying, one of the things that I needed to learn was that God was always one of the options. But you see, that's not, you know, I'm just total disclosure here, that's not my default way of dealing with problems. My default way of dealing with problems, because I'm a fix-it kind of guy, at least in my head I am, so I I start thinking about, okay, so how am I going to fix this? But you know, the minute I say, how am I going to fix this, God is now marginalized in my life, in my thinking. So one of those options you hadn't thought of yet might just be, what does God have to say about this problem? Now, with that, The wisdom part of this is to recognize that God is always part of the trials and tribulations you have. Hear me very carefully. Either God sent those trials to you, or at the very least, in every other circumstance, he at least allowed them to come to you. And so what you need in those trials is to figure out where God is in there. What is he trying to teach me through this? And wisdom that James is pushing us to here, after saying in the first few verses, you need to get perspective, you need to get God's perspective on those trials because God is using those to grow you up in your faith. Now we're at a point I need you to just kind of let you understand the whole series that we're talking about here where I've entitled it, It Works, is your faith has to work. It's got to, it's got to be more than locked up in your head. It's got to get down into your feet, into your hands, and affect how you live. And so here, right, right out of the gate, 
James starts talking about the hardest place for us to have a faith that works. It's when we're pushed beyond ourselves. So what do you do? How do you get this wisdom, this perspective? Well, simply, he says, ask. If any of you lacks it, then ask for it. But he uses an interesting thing here. If, in the grammar of the Greek at this point, he uses this device that makes it just jump off the page at us. And once again, our English translations kind of soften it down a little bit. Um, he uses this as an imperative, as a command. You understand imperative command? That's go, or as you say to your children regularly, stop it. That's a command. But here's, here's the twist in this deal. Normally, we use those commands on a, in a second-person context. I say to you, you stop it, or you start it. Yesterday, had a great, great experience. One of our Sunday school classes had Guns and Gumbo Fellowship. Awesome. It was an incredible time. First of all, the food was good, as you can imagine. I love living out here, by the way. Um, uh, but we also were out at the member's house uh, and out of their land, and uh, so we set up a shooting range out there, and so we, we had guys who were working as you know, range masters for us as we were shooting pistols and that kind of stuff. Love East Texas. Um, and those range masters were saying to people, uh, don't point that at me. <laughs> now, you know, I, I can appreciate that. I, I went to that guy's land when I first moved there and he shot me with a shotgun. So I get the don't point that at me deal, Right? So stop it or don't point that at me. That's a command, that's an imperative, but it's you-oriented. I'm talking directly to you. But James uses this as an imperative, a command, but it uses the third person, which is why our English translations have to soften it. I don't know if you saw how this is, but it says, let him ask God. But that's written as a command. Let him ask sounds like just a kind of a general statement. But it's much stronger than that. If any of your sense you lack wisdom, he must ask. Now, here's why I think that's so important, why we take the time to even highlight that here. That's not in our normal nature to ask God for wisdom. Or at least it's not mine. I'm guessing you're enough like me. That our normal reaction in a situation like that is to figure out all the angles and come up with it and how we're going to do it. But James writes this in such a way that he says, when you're the one, do it. Ask. But generally speaking, he now identifies that other person out there, that general relative kind of a reference here. And any of us must ask. So let me just stop. Let's wear that for a second. How good are you at asking God for perspective and wisdom in your troubles? Here's part of what I think we do. I think instead of asking for perspective or wisdom, we tend to ask for relief. That problem that you're facing, how are you praying about that? It was the wise guy who said, 
So often in our troubles, we seek a blessing, but we never seek the blesser. How are you handling the trials of your life? If I understand the verses 2 through 4 correctly, God is using those trials to mature us, to complete us as Christian people. And so, for me to ask him to take the trial away may very well be asking him to violate his own will in my life. So if you're going through something and everything in you screams out, take it away. I'm tired of dealing with this. Maybe what James would say is, seek God in it because you know he'll take you through it instead of delivering you from it. Now, I don't say smart stuff very often, but let me tell you, that's smart. And it wasn't original with me, just so you know. So how are you dealing with the trials of your life? Let him ask for wisdom. And then he qualifies that by saying, you can count on God because it's based in his character to answer that prayer in the affirmative. If you're asking God, give me perspective in this trial. Where are you in this test? You can count on God answering that prayer. That's verse 5, the, the latter part. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What will be given to him? Wisdom. And then he takes another step, and I think we take this out of context a lot. But now we get to that part of faith that has to work. But let him ask in faith, that is, that strong belief that God in his character will answer that prayer in the affirmative. Remember, it's not the, the prayer for deliverance from your problem. It's prayer for perspective in your problems. And James says he will always answer that in the affirmative based on his character. But let us ask in faith with no doubting. I keep running over stuff in here that makes me stop and say, we need to make sure we get this right. Because we reduce this verse often to humanistic Christianity. Let him ask in faith without doubting. And I know that there's that part of us that wants to say, okay, so I've got to just suck it up and I've got to make myself not doubt. I've heard it said this way. I get in this situation, I'd start doubting, and I just wonder if God's going to do it. And one guy said, well, just refuse to doubt. Doubt the doubt. But I don't think that's exactly what he's saying here. What he's saying is, it's not about you and your ability to suck it up and get through the trial. It is about you resting in the character of God, that he's going to be there with you through that trial and give you the perspective you need to get through it. The doubt is not about your ability to trust God. The doubt is about God's willingness to be involved. And James says you can bank on it in the character of God that he's always going to be involved with you. You don't have to doubt that. But when you do doubt that, it's like living with one foot in a boat and another on the dock. You ever tried that? 
I don't recommend that you try it unless you're wearing a swimsuit and put your wallet and your phone and stuff up on the dock. Because if you try to do that and the boat's moving and the dock's not moving, you're going into the water sooner or later or face first on either the boat or the dock. This instability that comes with a divided thinking. Well, I, here's the way we normally do that, I think. I, I got this issue. And I'm not going to doubt. Okay, God, I know you're going to get me through this. And, you know, my wife, oh, she, oh, you know, God, she's a wreck. Not my wife. Not mine. So I'm going to get through this. I'm going to trust God. Okay, God, I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so I'm going to just, and here's the way we say it. I'm just going to give this problem to you, God. And then, by the way, that's good spiritual thinking. I'm going to just give this problem to you. But most of us, well, well, wait a minute. I'm going to, to, wait a minute. I'm going to give it to you, but not yet. I'm going to give it to you, but wait a minute. I need that again. Okay. And so we we talk about it this way. I gave it to God, but boy, then later I just kind of keep taking it back from him. That's instability. That's I'm not so sure that I really can trust God to deal with it because after all, I am God and so I'll figure it out. And James says that person is unstable in all of his ways. It's one foot in spiritual truth and one foot in carnal selfishness and it just doesn't work. Let me finish reading. I don't think I've read that all yet. Have I? Verse 6, 7, 8, 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You ever feel like that in your troubles? Especially late at night while you're laying there and the world goes quiet? Two nights this week, back-to-back nights, I went to bed 10, 30, 11 o'clock and was up by two for the rest of the night, one of them. I'm not a happy guy early in the morning like that under those circumstances, especially with a dog who is intent on keeping me awake. And in those quiet moments, I found that God can be very close. But I've also found that in the days when it's hectic and noisy, God can seem very distant. And the words of James haunt me in those moments. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That double-minded life is a train wreck. And many of us know that from personal experience. And others of us have seen that in our loved ones. It was the wise person who said, a seasoned sailor is not made in the harbor. He's got to sail that boat out into the open seas where the storms hit him and the waves crash against him and he's got to figure out how to sail a boat. That is our lives. What is your problem? And where's God in it? James says this is evidence of a faith that works. The one who can turn for divine perspective on the problems that he has and know that God 
will speak into that turmoil. Words of peace. So I quote my dad as I close. We have, my dad and I, walked through some really tough, tough times. Some of those were in our own relationship. Some of those were as co-ministerial staff members at a church really struggling. And some are current. And he quoted a poem that I think captures what James is saying here. I hope it'll help you like it's helped me. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But she left me none the wiser for the things she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word said she. But oh, the things she taught me when sorrow walked with me. What's your problem? Let's pray. Heads bowed.